Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm recording this episode live on the 4th of July, 2020, on a beautiful evening in Ojai, California. Now, this is a very special day for me, but not for the reasons you might think. This is a very special day for me because five years ago today, Five years ago, right about at this moment, I had the great honor to welcome and host His Holiness the Dalai Lama on the occasion of his 80th birthday. And I've been reflecting quite a bit. I've I've spent the last week writing and working on my book. And I've been reflecting quite a lot around commitment and around humility, around grace. And I learned so much in the process of the, the lead up to hosting His Holiness. And I haven't really shared the story, but I thought I would for the benefit of, of you listening that may have a big dream, something that you're uh, building towards or thinking about or have been thinking about, but haven't you know sort of taken the big leap And I want to share with you some insights from my experience, from my humble experience, in a way that hopefully will support you in maybe taking that leap. So for context, I haven't really shared this story, but I had come off of uh, working on and building Global Citizen for, you know, the first three, four years uh, from inception idea through execution. And when my father was uh, diagnosed with dementia, I I took him to South Africa and on that trip decided I was going to leave Global Citizen, but I wasn't sure what was next. I, I knew that I wanted to spend time with my dad. I knew that I wanted to be uh, open for um, healing through a very difficult time. But I also knew that I wanted to continue to be a stand for social change, for transformation. Global Citizen was uh, in very good stead. And I spoke with a friend of mine, and he suggested that I take about 30 days and do a deep dive into meditation. And so I did a 30-day meditation, sort of self-imposed meditation retreat, if you will. And on the 30th day, I felt called to go down to the water. I live on the beach in in Los Angeles, and it was a cold November night, but I I said to myself, you know what? I had this intuition that I had to jump in, and I jumped in, and it was freezing, and I came out, and I (gasps) kind of grasped for breath, and I had this crazy idea. I wanted to host the Dalai Lama for an event around meditation. I was really thinking quite a lot about the brain and brain health, given what was going on with my father. And I don't know why it occurred to me that uh, trying to get to perhaps one of the most uh, difficult to reach uh, people on the planet would be a great idea, but it just was the idea that came to me and it felt beyond me, if you will. So it didn't feel... Like the small me, Michael, ego Michael, had uh, this big idea. It felt like something was trying to speak through me. What Stephen Pressfield and uh, calls the muse, 
Elizabeth Gilbert as well calls the muse in her amazing book, Big Magic, and Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art. And so it felt like a very muse-oriented moment. And instead of, I think, like many of us do, sort of shoving it to the side, I, I honored it. I gave it space to breathe, if you will. And made a crazy declaration. I said, you know what? I'm going to host an event with His Holiness the Dalai Lama around meditation. Now, at the time, that seemed absolutely crazy. I didn't have, I wasn't, didn't have a connection. I didn't have a relationship with the Dalai Lama. Um, and I had no mechanism to think or reason to think that it was going to happen or feasible. But just based off what I had experienced when we built Global Citizen, from declaring a bold vision and then seeing it come to life in nine months, I knew that it was it was possible to declare a big vision and see them come into reality. And so I declared this big vision, and seven months later, on the 4th of July, this day, five years later, uh, I celebrate the culmination of that vision. But what I learned through the process was profound. Um, I learned a variety of things. One was I learned the value of commitment. In any creative endeavor, in the execution of any idea, one first has to be committed. You know, there's that beautiful quote about until one is committed. And I think it's so true. When we kind of waver, when we think about things, one of the things that I've actually thought a great deal about lately, I don't know if this resonates with you, is all the time I have, precious time, I have wasted in deliberation. I have wasted in thinking about things. This podcast, for example, I deliberated on for years. And now I'm knocking on the door of the 100th episode, and it has been such a gift to my life. Building this community, sharing with you, has been such a gift in my life. And, man, I think about what what, 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 I don't regret, because I think everything has, has happened perfectly, but, you know, what would have happened if I had launched it as I recorded, you know, four or five years earlier than when I did? Uh, well, I would be in a different place. Now, what happened was I got into over-deliberation. And I think commitment is the antidote to that overthinking, to that constipation, that mental masturbation that we sometimes get ourselves in. And when you commit, the road does come up to greet you. You know, one of the the other things that I noticed in in the realization of, of the vision was commitment is the first step. But the second is aligning to others that share the vision. So finding, for example, in the first instance, uh, Andrea Fenewald, a woman that um, had, had been a dear friend, um, had been a partner for a short period of time. She believed in me and she believed in the vision and she wanted to work on it. And to her great credit, because my goodness, it was so hard at times. I remember times where, I mean, we were fully vested. Uh, I was liable personally, uh, six figures in terms of the cost of the events. But we also had, you know, amazing folks like Forrest Whitaker who had agreed to fly in on his own dime. And, you know, we had no 
100% commitment that it was going to happen. And there wasn't any plan B. There's no substitute for the Dalai Lama. So the stress was significant. Um, but knowing that someone had my back, knowing that there was someone who believed and aligned to the vision as much as I did, which was the case with Andrea, and then from Andrea, uh, an incredible group of, of people, from the musicians, Tim Fain, Aloe Black, to a great number of the, the, we had some incredible chefs, we had some just incredible, uh, Carrie on the event side, we had just had some incredible people that all gave themselves to this bigger vision. And I think that's the other sort of principle that I would share is when you have a big vision and you can find people that align to that vision, anything is possible. Because when you find yourself in a challenge, when you find, which is inevitable, when you find, you know, a partner falls through or, an, uh, you know, some aspect that what seemed essential all of a sudden goes totally south, it's the people that you can go take that walk on the beach with. It's the people who will tap into their network to see how they can support you. It's the people that really bring the vision to life. They are they are the carriers of that vision. And I think having first your commitment to a very clear vision and then finding people who can align to that vision. There is not much that you cannot do. Um, and so for me, I think this event was in many ways the ultimate exemplification of that. And I want to talk for a moment about challenges because I think any of us come into periods in time where we question. I think sometimes, especially whether it be maybe a partner that you're deciding, okay, is this my person for life? Or if it's, um, you know, an enterprise and, and you're about to jump and you're thinking to yourself, well, is this really it? I think there's always that question of, of potentially drawing back, of withdrawal. And I think in the boldness of that jump, in the boldness of what happens, so many incredible things happen. However, not <laughs> without testing. And I think that's almost universal law. I think you will be tested to the degree commensurate with the the power of your commitment. You know, so I think I think in many ways our power ascends with our ethics and wherein we're not aligned with our ethic, oftentimes we are tested or shaken. I remember in particular, as we built towards the event with His Holiness, we were very much at effect to one particular person who really was the uh, intermediary, the, the go-to for us in our communications. And there's a particular moment, I won't go into detail, but just to say where things looked extraordinarily challenging. Uh, it looked like the event was very unlikely to happen. Uh, extraordinarily unlikely to happen. And I was, at that time, in a leadership training. And on that night, I was hosting a, as kind of the graduation for that training, a free workshop for uh, about 40, 50 people. And I remember that evening being so triggered, being so... Um, 
so wanting to withdraw, so wanting to go into old habits, behaviors, old comforting mechanisms. But instead, I was called forth to deliver this training, this workshop. And that brought its own challenge because on entry, the woman who had offered to host us, uh, without a better way to put it, lost her, lost herself and did so in a way that uh, was loud and was uh, involved some profanity, some slandering of some of the people I work with. And to hold that in that moment of already being uh, down and already being sort of uh, existentially kicked, if you will, it took everything to sort of breathe that in and transmute it. In other words, not to react, to respond in the same vein, but to say, okay, what can we do to solve this issue? What can we do to solve this challenge? And moving from those energies into a place of literally holding a space and leading a meditation, which I was told later, by the way, no one had any idea that I was in personal tumult, uh, which was which was really amazing. Um, I basically then went and led this meditation for and, and transformational workshop with 40 or 50 folks, which by the way, I've never done since, but was absolutely amazing. Uh, and I get to get to do again. But what I realized then is we have so much more in the tank than we think we do. We have so much more that we can give in our visions, in our you know we are so, we have so much more depth than we oftentimes think of ourselves as having and i really realized that on that day because any one of those events i would have thought usually would have you know put me into a very very challenging place put them on together literally thinking my entire professional life is about to be turned on its head very significant financial costs associated very significant reputational costs and and amidst all of that, to step into service, I think, was the greatest medicine. It was the greatest aspect of training that I, that I could have had. And so I really encourage you guys, in moments of duress, in moments of personal breakdown, in moments of personal challenge, flex back into service. Focus out. I remember uh, during this period in time as well, I, I developed a pretty significant uh, Starbucks habit. And at one particular moment, I was really going through these challenges and I just turned around and bought the person behind me a coffee. And the way that I felt was like moving from total victimhood to feeling again uh, empowered, Move, moving from being, if you will, at effect in my life to being at cause, being source, being, being a stand for what was possible. And I think when we focus out and we get back into service, that's what's available for us. It's that it's the power of kind of reclaiming our our space, our sovereignty, and doing so from a place of service. And this is something that I saw, I think, in most significant reflection, if you will, when I we moved through all these challenges and ultimately we had the opportunity to host uh, His Holiness, which is an experience unlike any other. I've, I've had a couple of people ask me what it was like. And, you know, 
for me, uh, the Dalai Lama is a profoundly spiritual figure. Uh, he is, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, in many ways, the model of compassion. And I, on meeting him, I, I just, one, I, I think I, I had such a hard time even believing that it was happening that I started to cry. But two, my mother, who's a very uh, powerful and very strong woman, but, but not prone to crying, started to bawl. And she said to me, she said she felt like it was like meeting Jesus. And in a way, it was. It was a presence unlike anything I was used to in that as he moved through the space, he acknowledged each and every person. And not just each and every person, he actually literally stopped and patted the leaf of a palm tree. He acknowledged and honored the space, the tree. And that's how he started his talk. He started his talk by talking about the plants and the animals and what, what was remarkable for me was that message, that message of, of who you're being is what's important. Who you're being and the way that you demonstrate your love. You know, I, I had ho- hoped to host him in an event around meditation because I was, I was, if you will, obsessed at the time with the brain and how the brain relates to identity and the way in which we can stimulate flow state and, and, and a variety of different reasons which I'm still fascinated by but what I was evoked into was the heart and the and the and the aligned intelligence of the brain when moving together with the heart uh, which is in essence compassionate action and so what I learned from the Dalai Lama was Humility was grace, was the power of commitment. But I think what I saw in him more than anything, I mean, those were sort of profound aspects that I, that I was reminded of their power during the, the, the coming, uh, coming to and culmination of the event. But the actual message that I got, not just in his words. In fact, I would say very little of his message to me carried in his words, although his words were powerful. They carried in his beingness, in the way that he moved through space, the way that he acknowledged everyone equally as valuable and as important. And that he exemplified joy at 80 years of old, humble, calling himself a simple monk, um, willing to be of service, uh, willing to to come to, <laughs> you know, he didn't know me, he had no idea who I was, you know, being willing to agree to uh, come and speak. In honor of his 80th birthday, by the way, just to me goes to show, I think when I, when you see in the context of, of sp- spiritual teachers to me the most powerful teachers are the ones who lead with who they're being you know i'm reminded of of other elders uh, incredible native american elders that i've had the privilege of sitting with and what i'm always taken by is that there's not a prescription to their words it's not a do this and then you'll be happy 
it's a humble offering. It's a humble offering. And I think the more we live our lives as a, a humble offering, the more the road comes up to greet us. And what I saw in, in His Holiness in the Dalai Lama was just his willingness to, to be. And I always had these notions of, you know, impact having to look like scale and it having to be huge and it having to be, to look a certain way. And while this was a huge global figure, uh, what I realized was that in his message, it was around our beingness and the humility of and profound impact of touching the life of just one person and the effect that that has. And to bring it back to the elders, the storytellers, what I love is, although they don't teach in a prescribed fashion, they teach so profoundly in their way of being, in the story of who they are, and in the story they choose to share. Oftentimes a parable, a, uh, a truth that you, you have to work to find yourself in, to find your answer in. It's in the parable, but they're not going to just give it to you. You, you have to meet them, if you will. But in doing so, words become more than words. They become a part of you. They become seeds for future growth, for future possibility. And so what I, what I saw and what I learned on that beautiful July 4th, 2015, was what it looks like to be a stand for compassion. To lead with the heart as well as the head. In fact, if anything, what I learned was that peak mind is an intelligence not in and of the mind itself. But peak mind is also an embodied heart. It is knowledge combined with wisdom. And I think we live in a fairly knowledge-obsessed culture. But wisdom speaks volumes. And I think part of our work these days is to remember the wisdom that we all have within us. And I think that was another piece that I took away from, from the incredible event, was just that we, we all have such profound wisdom, such profound insights, such profound love, that we oftentimes forget or neglect or pretend. And I asked myself a question that led me to this retreat that's been a, a real catalyst five years later. And that is, what are you pretending not to know? And I'd invite you to ask yourself the same question. What are you pretending not to know? And for me, there was a couple of things that came up to speak vulnerably. One, uh, my house is, has, I love it. It's on the beach. It's incredible. It's my favorite location in many regards. But it has mold in it. And it makes me tired. And it's affecting my health. And I don't want to move. But what I get to do and what I get to know is that I'm moving. So I declared by October 1st, 2020, that I will move. I have no idea where I'm going. 
but that was something that I knew, but that I was pretending not to know. The other thing that I realized that I was pretending not to know was that I have uh, trust challenges. I haven't really shared this publicly or out loud, but I've had incidences in the past where I had my trust uh, betrayed, uh, both personally um, and professionally, in, a, in, a, in pretty profound ways that, that really hurt me for, for not just a little while, for, for, for years. And, and so one of the things I've been doing this past week is getting back into that place of trust and thinking about the people who I respect, like the Nelson Mandela's, who in spite of, now this is an extreme example, but in spite of being mistreated, still found their way back to love, still found their way back to wisdom, still found their way to lead and embody rather than just preach a principle that required forgiveness at its core. And so I think that message of compassion is one that's landing for me still. And it is, you know, I, I hosted His Holiness because I wanted to host an event around meditation, <laughs> which is absolutely profound. And I remember hearing that he was going to gift us with a, with a very rare meditation, which you, you can listen to the entire event, actually. It's episode one and two of this podcast, which he did. But what I didn't fully understand at the time was what they shared, which was that meditation isn't something they compartmentalize. So in a way, it's almost awkward to say, we'll do a talk on meditation because it's just part of who he's being. It's just part of his training. And so what I've realized since is meditation isn't just taking your brain to the gym. I think it's clearing the space to be in the listening. And from that place of listening to tap back in to wisdom. And that's been the great gift, the trust, the the amazing healing that I found both in the event with the Dalai Lama as well as my time five years later here today spending the last week largely alone in nature and sitting here as the sun sets you know I, I'm more aware than ever that there's so much I do not know that there is so much I have yet to learn but I'm also so, so, so grateful for the wisdom that is all around me, that is always all around all of us, that is within us when we choose to stop, when we choose to listen, and when we choose to focus out in service. I had no idea where this conversation, <laughs> this, this, uh, this download, if you will, was going to go uh, when I started and pressed record. At first, I thought it was going to be kind of a treatise on how to build a seemingly impossible vision. And 
definitely think those pieces uh, still hold water. But where I came to feels like a deeper cut for me. It feels like um, more what I've been reckoning with and what I want to share. Which is the teaching that sometimes we hear, but we only fully appreciate and understand it as it digests, as it unfolds. I think that's the great thing about the elders, about the story, is that it's a truth that unfolds. It's a truth unfurling. It's a truth that comes to life in you, like the compost that grabs a seed and brings it to its roots, that brings it to its sprout, that brings it to its first iteration it's 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 orientation as a sapling you know that same seed can grow three feet can grow 30 feet can grow 300 feet depending on the richness of the soil and i think what i've come to find is that who we surround ourselves with visions that we share the stories that we consume that's the soil to our seed that's that's what enables us to grow and what I've learned is a value for the nutritious a value in the nutritious as it relates to food a value in the nutritious as it relates to community and the people that we surround ourselves with and a value in the nutritious as it relates to story and the stories that we surround ourselves with, the stories that we live in and live into. Be very mindful of who you're, whose stories you're living into. Uh, and if they're empowering stories or not empowering stories. Because I think at the end of the day, we've all got to choose to live in our own empowering stories and surround ourselves with the people that bring us to life it's a great howard thurman quote which i absolutely love which is don't ask what the world needs ask what makes you come alive and do that because what the world really needs is for people to come alive and i don't know what your big challenge is what your big dream is just had a great conversation with uh, ben nempton a few episodes back about living big dreams what I loved about the way that he approached it was he created his bucket list, if you will, his his big dreams. But for every dream that he checked off his list, he helped someone else check one off theirs. And I love that because I think the world rises up to greet us, commensurate with our commitment. And that commitment comes to life commensurate with the people we surround ourselves with but we better make sure that those people and the stories that they live in and the stories that we live in together are empowering and powerful ones. And I'm just so, so grateful that, you know, there. I pray that one day I will find my, my queen and that, that, that I will love again in that way. I pray for, for that breakthrough and trust but what I am profoundly grateful for today is the community that helped visions come to life 
and helped the vision come to life five years ago. And the people that come to greet you along the way when you're living your, your dream, your big vision. And I've seen that come to life, you know, with Global Citizen. I've seen that come to life with, with Peak Mind and this beautiful event. And I wasn't always perfect in the process. And I don't even know if all the people that I work with and surrounded myself with truly know how much I appreciate them. But, you know, I think who we, who we surround ourselves with is the greatest, and what we surround ourselves with is the greatest medicine. And I can tell you, I've had the good fortune of surrounding myself with some good humans, some good people. And if you're listening, and you know you're one of them, know that I'm profoundly grateful for you. I'm also profoundly grateful for this mountain that I look out on. I hope wherever you are, wherever you're listening, that at least you can look out a window of some kind and see the green, see the blue of, of water. Um, I, I, I've got no stage, no, uh, no amazing teacher that I'm listening to today in the form of, of, of a human, but or in the form of uh, an enlightened master. But I am taking in the wisdom of the trees, of the great mother, of us all. And uh, I'm going to go off and, uh, and walk a little bit and listen. And uh, maybe if I'm lucky, I'll hear some stories. And I hope wherever you are, that you're in a good way, that you're enjoying this beautiful day, and that you're into listening and finding your stories. Until next time, my friends, sending you all so much love from Ojai, California, July 4th, 2020. Be well.